The revolution is here. A movement of people free to live, work, and choose. We won't tell you what to think. We just demand that you think for yourself. This is Kibbe on Liberty. Leopold, it's so good to see you again. Good to see you. It's been, um, it feels like decades, but it's been just over two years when we met each other in Batumi, Georgia. Yes. We were speaking at, at, in a conference about Ayn Rand. And I forget the name of that conference, but uh, um, I was I was super intrigued by your presentations because you took the the movie The Joker yeah. as a as a tool to teach people about self respect and self esteem and how they would yeah. um, take control of their own lives. And I want to talk about that today because we're here in Prague at the New Intellectuals Conference, and we find ourselves speaking together again. Uh, but let's start with. Uh, a little bit about your story, because because Ayn Rand changed your life. Indeed, uh, and it's an interesting story because a couple of years ago, I mean, like a couple of years, it's been like ten years. I wrote a book on the integration of philosophy and creative thinking, and I never heard of Ayn Rand. And I remember just before publishing it, I went to the bookstore. I printed the book just to see it. And I went to the bookstore and put it on the shelf just to see how it's going to look like. You know, that's cool. And then I look and I see an intriguing title, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Who's this guy, Ayn Rand? So I got it and I see, and I, I remember reading the first five pages. Then I called my publisher and I said, I'm not going to publish the book. It's like immediately I saw my philosophical mistakes because it was a combination from different philosophers uh, and it didn't make any sense. Now I see it. Back then I was very proud of it and I'm glad I didn't publish it. So that's how I was uh, introduced to Ayn Rand. Uh, and from there on, I became obsessed. I wanted to know if her ideas work, are true, and if they work. And I started experimenting. And we talked about that. I mean, what fascinates me is that I discovered that she's a tool maker or a frame maker, whatever you want to call it. So she's not just a philosopher or a novelist, but you can actually infer a lot of techniques uh, to develop your life from her writings. So that's briefly my, my story with her. But what was it? Like and and we've we've been talking about some of the caricatures of Ayn Rand yeah. that you know the the straw man that that she and her heroes mm -hmm. are so selfish that they don't give a damn about anybody or anything and they'll do mm -hmm. anything to get ahead. Yeah, but I read the opposite in in her heroes. But what was it that grabbed you? Well, initially, what grabbed me is a question that you talked about in your presentation, which is when Howard Rourke asked uh, Peter Keating, how do you stand it not to know what to do with, with your life? That was my first hook. I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? What, how do you stand it not to know? Like, of course, I don't know. And the more I started reading, the more I discovered that she is offering a new perspective of how to love and respect yourself. And I never, honestly, I never saw, I don't know how people judge that, but I never saw anywhere in her writing that she means by selfishness at like something you do at the expense of other people. 
Right. Like it's it's she's very explicit about that that it's not the case. Um, so yeah, I don't know how people how people think about that. I think most people who think about that angle have not read her or they have certain bias against her. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and I think um, and we've talked a lot about language and and using the language that other people can hear if you're trying to convey an idea yeah and that's that's your job you you are a uh, you teach people how to communicate and you're a former marketing executive and and that kind of things and i think um, a word that i wouldn't use trying to explain ayn rand's philosophy of personal responsibility to to a newbie yeah it's like be selfish yeah and I, and and my take on her use of that word is she's using it in a correct way in the sense that she's talking about the self. Yeah. And she, and she says very profoundly, um, you can't say I love you unless you can say I. Yeah. And that's the essence of her philosophy is 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 respecting yourself, taking responsibility for yourself. And, and too many people today, I think, miss that part of the equation. And if you miss that, you miss everything. Yeah. Um, here's something interesting. I know some people who heard of Ayn Rand. And the first thing they did is they went on YouTube and they saw her speaking and they tuned out. Right. Again, it's because you don't understand the context. Uh, and the best exercise you can do is start with a novel. Start with Anthem. It's a short no- novel. But on your point, I think she was on a, a mission. So, so, so on the word selfishness, I think she was on a mission to explain to people how to think about ideas and how to think about words. Because words have meanings, right? And even if the word selfishness annoys you, it has a certain meaning, mm-hmm. right? It's being full of yourself but that does not imply that at the expense of other people right so she's saving the words because she understood that cognitively it's very important we think in abstract words right imagine the word we talked a little bit about that yesterday but imagine the word love stands in your mind as something blind Mm -hmm. right what's going to happen to you if that's the concept if that's how it stands in your mind you're going to be, you don't want to love. You don't want to be blind, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's an important aspect of thinking about why she was so keen on using the word selfishness. Yeah. And I always, um, um, when people push back, because I, I've, I've never shied away from acknowledging Ayn Rand's influence on, on my life and how I yeah. think about the world, um, but part of, part of it is the historical context of, of he who young, Ayn Rand was. She was a a young woman watching the Bolshevik Revolution destroy her family. And that was sort of her visceral rage against the machine. Like, no, collective is evil because she's watching it. And and maybe maybe she's not even exactly sure why it's evil yet. But but that, I think, put her on her intellectual journey to to pursue heroes and to understand how any one of us could take responsibility and, and, and be heroic in a, in a smaller, great way. Yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, I think she revolutionized the way we think about heroes, right? So now heroes are real. They can exist, yeah. right? And I think that's an important message. Uh, and again, you talk a lot about that. Like Every time you do something good, it has some heroic aspect, right? But which implies you need to know what is good. Yeah. And then you go into her whole philosophy that there is a way actually to know what is good and what is freedom and what is uh, what which kind of government will make you uh, achieve your freedom or will allow you, whatever you want to put it. Um, so, yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, did I answer your question? Yeah. Um, the, you know, my, it's, it sounds like the fountainhead was your, your gateway drug. Yeah. Some people get mad when I use that. That phrase, but I'm I'm comfortable a, with it because because it it's pretty intoxicating. Yeah. Um, um, I devoured Anthem first, yeah. and which I would I would recommend as as a great starting point for people yeah. um, because it deals with the, the the toxic idea of being collective. Yeah, like there's there's a culture in the future, I guess, where people no longer speak in the first person. Yeah, they don't know how to say I. What a what a book! And and it's it's so it's striking. It's short and it's striking. And it isn't until the hero Prometheus learns how to say "I" mm. that he then finds love. And at the end, he's seeking community. Yeah. And this is part of my part part of my mission to 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 turn people on to this this idea of personal responsibility is. Um, these things all go together. There can't be communities unless there are individuals who yeah. are responsible for their self. Yeah, and to that point, the I is an achievement, right? It's an achievement to know yourself, to own your I, and not to betray your I. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I, I love that. And she made it very clear that you need to work on owning your I. Because, and, and the way she, the, the, the quote you used, in order to say, I love you, one must first know how to say the I. Yeah. Right? Right. Like, so she's telling you there's a way to use, to understand and to own the I. And that's what I love about it. But yeah, my, my drug was, uh, uh, the fountainhead. But I told the story yesterday, I'm just going to share it quickly because some people might relate to it, uh, that when I read The Fountainhead, I didn't understand it fully. Uh, and I was seeing that so many people in my life are a lot like the villains in, in The Fountainhead. But I said to myself, ah, you know, it's just a fiction. Yeah. It can't be true. And you start uh, going into that struggle, like, is it fiction? Is it true? Should I believe the fiction? Uh, but then you start seeing, no, it is true. And that's the power of any good writer, not just Ayn Rand. Like, even if you look at someone like Dostoyevsky, he's offering universal and true insights for you to think about and relate them to your life. Um, so, yeah, that was my first, um, The Fountainhead was the first, but then I went into the world of Atlas Sharked. And that was a whole new phase in my life. Yeah, I, I I believe the way I definitely read the Fountainhead before Atlas Shrugged, 
And part of the reason I'm, I'm so old that I'm going to date myself, but part of the reason was my copy of Anthem, which is old and beat up. I bought it at a, at a garage sale. Um, it had other books by Ayn Rand in the front page as mm. they used to yeah. do. And when that book was published, printed, Atlas Shrugged didn't exist. Mm. So I was following the breadcrumbs and yeah. it said, we the living and the fountainhead. Yeah. So I, I think I found the fountainhead first, but, but Atlas was the last thing. And I think that's the logical way to perhaps read the books because yeah. she's developing her ideas yeah. um, through her career as well. So um, Atlas was last, but I, I still most identify, and I talked about this with with Terry, I identify with Howard Rourke. He, he turned out to be kind of, I didn't fully realize this until two years ago when we were speaking together, that Howard Rourke was sort of my spirit animal. Mm. He kept me... Um, he reminded me of certain things that kept me sane, particularly in my world of Washington, D.C. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't want to disappoint him, Yeah. Um, but I really didn't want to disappoint myself. Yeah. And you used the phrase, let me see if I can remember it, yesterday, that was so powerful that sometimes in your work, whatever your work is, you are you are very close to sell your soul. Yeah. Right? And the fountainhead shows you the consequences of selling your soul. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But I want to say something on, on Anthem because she, she was writing the fountainhead and then she took a break to write Anthem. And there's an interesting thing here because if you look at the world of literature, there are so many other books uh, that have a similar theme to Anthem. I forgot the name of, I think he was a Russian writer. He wrote a, a book called We. Uh, I think his, his name is Zamyatin, but I forgot exactly uh, his full name. But he, he talked about that. He talked about a world without uh, the eye. But he couldn't make it captivating and he couldn't reach the conclusion that Ayn Rand reached, which is a world like that is impossible and you're not a human. You don't have an eye if you were you live in a collective world. Yeah. You're just going to lose it completely. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to uh, in 1984, George Orwell. Uh, I think one of his big mistakes is that he showed you that in such a world, you know, it, there can be so many technology and so many development, and you can still live under dictatorship. But her point is you can't. You yeah. won't be a human being. It's going to be something else. And I, I think um, what I wanted to talk about today is this this crisis that I feel in my country, and maybe you feel it. Um, you live in Dubai, but yeah. you you spend a tremendous amount of time traveling the world, speaking yeah. to people. in In my country, I feel like there's a there's a crisis of these two things: not being able to say I in the fullest sense and not being able to say no when someone wants mm -hmm. to trade your integrity for money or opportunity or prestige, all yeah. of these temptations, I think, um, these aren't just temptations in Washington, DC. These are, these are the things that, that surround all of us. And I, I think a lot of young people are struggling for meaning. 
they're struggling for purpose. Um, there was a time when, when purpose was, was kind of foisted upon you by necessity, scarcity. How am I going to feed myself? How am I going to put a roof over my head? How am I going to take care of my family? Those are still things we all worry about, but, but that is not the existential definition of surviving today. Capitalism has made us fat and happy. Yeah. And that, and that, that's in itself created a bit of a crisis. Yeah. But it, it's very hard what, what you're saying to, for most people to understand. It's, it's, it's very essentialized. You're saying there are two problems. The first one is not being able to say I, and the second not being able to say no. And I think this needs a lot of explanation, even though I see it as a, as a key problem. Uh, but if I want to unpack it a little bit, I would say that it's either that they can't say I, they don't really understand the meaning of individual, uh, being an individual and living as an individual. But also, it's about saying I in the wrong way, right? It's I did this and I did that. And we see it a lot in, in politics. Um, so I see that that uh, dichotomy, if, if, I, if I may, between these two. And the no, you can't say no if you don't have a guiding principle, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's what's happening a lot in the U.S., uh, that there is, specifically politically, there's no guiding principle. If you just look at foreign policy, there's no principle to say yes or no, right? Uh, and this makes it harder for the young people growing up there to have some kind of a, some kind of a hero, Yeah. Or heroic ideal, let us say, to, to, to emulate or to say, I want, yeah, that's inspiring. I want to follow or learn how to think about these kind of guiding principles. So, yeah, but this needs a lot of unpacking. Uh, and it, that sort of segues to a conversation we're having last night about Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And his success as a, um, intellectual psychologist. Um, I guess he's a clinical psychologist, but, but, He's, he's a professor or, or was yeah. until quite recently. Um, but, and, and I know how he got his stage, but the reason that I think he resonates with young people is that there's a certain amount of, you got to get your life together before you can expect anyone else to care about you. Yeah. And, and, and we, we can get into some of the, the mistakes perhaps that he makes, but, but I think that that general practical application of how to live your life in a meaningful way is everything in explanation about why he has succeeded in engaging young people. Um, yes and no, maybe. Uh, and I've been thinking about this since yesterday. Uh, so from one perspective, he is telling people how to think about the meaning of life and giving them some tools. But so is everybody else, right? Like everyone, for example, in the self-help industry or uh, any intellectual nowadays mm-hmm. is telling people how to live their lives and how to have a meaningful life. But there's something more magical about Jordan Peterson is, and it's and to me, it's magical, but it's fundamentally wrong. Uh, so and I, and I love the guy, but at the same time, I think there's something fundamentally 
um, wrong about his his metaphysics, his view of of life as such, right? And for him, the essence is that life is about suffering. Mm-hmm. And then he offers you the tool. Okay, so what are we going to do about it? Right? Yeah. But you have to know that you're going to suffer. Here's life, how you suffer less. Exactly. Yeah. Here's how you suffer less. Uh, and that's what I don't like about it. But I think that's why people get a connection with him. Mm-hmm. Because that's a dominant philosophy. Only he made it more articulate and more intelligent. Uh, but that's how they connect. Most people, specifically the young, think that life is suffering. Uh, Heroism is uh, is not real. Happiness is not. And I mean, American. Most American. They, why? What is the pursuit of happiness? Just just an ideal that you know we don't need it. No, no. That's what America stands for. It is true. It is the pursuit of and the pursuit, which means you have the freedom to pursue it, right? Yeah. As an individual. Yeah. So, but yeah, Jordan Peterson is 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 a. It's fantastic. It's so inspirational. Even if, and I love that. Even if you disagree with someone, you should be objective enough to say, "Well, he's he he's inspirational. I learn from him, but I disagree on these points." So. Yeah, I mean, I I very much love to harvest the bits of wisdom that I get from from a very broad spectrum yeah. of of thinkers and and doers. Yeah. And and I, I would my my joke is that there, you know there's only one person that gets it exactly right and that's me mm. and then yeah. I have to sort of tolerate everybody's yeah. deviance from from how I think about the world. But when when I was uh, and I think you've seen Jordan Peterson live as well. I was I was fascinated by the fact that he could speak extemporaneously and not not in a way that was designed to be engaging. He's just thinking out loud. Yes. And he, he, he de- there's some structure because he's usually talking about one of his books. Um, but the, the very idea that, that young people would gather to hear a conversation about ideas from an academic who's not necessarily a trained performer at all. Yeah. Um, and that to me was intriguing because a lot of people say that, oh, people don't care about ideas and they're not really interested in thinking these things through. I think. I think that's not true. I think you just have to to meet them where they are. Yeah, and and that's that's what I think you have been doing with all these young people that that you've been talking to the last couple of days is is translating ideas in a way that empowers people to take a step one after the other yeah. and figure out how to live their lives. Yeah, yeah, and and listen, I don't think. I mean, I'll speak about myself. I don't think I would have ever dreamed uh, to even consider the idea of talking about big ideas to people without Jordan Peterson, right? Like he's an exemplar that you can be an intellect, but you can be attractive, you can be charismatic, you can talk about important things, and you can be a rock star, right? And I love that. And this this is something that we haven't seen for a while. And then here is Jordan Peterson. He's making it possible. So absolutely. And I remember when I saw him, I I was also attracted to his manners, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are not uh, you know uh, unimportant things. He has he has interesting manners in the way he talks, in the way he grapples with ideas. And it's not random. 
it's you know it's what you do backstage that puts you on stage right yeah. it's been studying and learning and devouring and and you know and then he goes on stage and he speaks to people in a way that connects with them i think there is a structure behind what he's saying but it's his style yeah and i love it and i don't think anyone can do it uh, easily you know it's it's hard it's hard you need a lot of uh, knowledge to do that um what's so let's apply let's let's mutate ayn rand and jordan peterson mm. and i'm sure you're going to tell me that you can't you need to start over and and apply her principles but it strikes me that um if you replace the existential nature of suffering through life with an understanding that that you can achieve something and and life is going to throw all sorts of bad things at you that's what living is about mm. there's there's struggle there's failure there's um betrayal yeah all the things that people will go through in life but the goal is happiness yes. not just managing suffering and i think that's a fundamental difference yes uh so what's the question how can we if if jordan peterson changes his no his, like his um, what is the formula for turning young people on to what i would consider this more beautiful vision how do you achieve happiness in your lifetime this is a hard one um and i can't claim that i figured it out but i would say based on my experience that you need a concrete example for happiness you need not just an ideal but you need to be able to see what it means to be happy so it's like con- making that abstract word happiness concrete and it's not too far because we can see it right i mean for me i was born in i'm lebanese I'm, i was born in lebanon and for me i used to think about the us as the land of opportunities the land where happiness is possible and how it's possible where you can see example of people succeeding in their lives achieving their dreams owning their property so you can see so many different examples because happiness is is you know is is a kind of a state it's not joy it's a state of keeping on achieving and achieving and achieving and there's nothing wrong with that so you have so many examples uh, not just in the us but throughout history of what it means to be happy right what it means to 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 achieve that state of happiness and i think for the young people it's important for them to be able to see that and relate it to happiness mm-hmm. right to see that that is happiness right in the same way that now when they look at uh, uh, at countries and they say oh this is a free country right but for example the government is taking control of uh, telecommunication it can't be a free country if that's the case right mm-hmm. so there is this misconception about the concepts like happiness and freedom and i think if you save that you can help people with with the tools yeah uh, and just one point on peterson i think he's great also in giving people 
uh, uh, tools like and frameworks and techniques what what can i do right the only issue uh, that i oppose to is the conclusion the existential conclusion which again affects everything else but um, yeah how, how do you feel about that i think that a lot of libertarians and objectivists and constitutional conservatives and classical liberals obsess so much about the unfree nature of where they live mm. that they're missing the opportunity to live freely anyway and it's part of it is part of it is how you think about the world part of it is how you think about the obstacles to you achieving the things that you want to achieve and part of it is ex accepting reality that none of us live in gold's gulch yeah and maybe we won't um we'll see how far we get That's and so like sometimes like I, I notice a lot of uh, uh frustrated people that that share a lot of these ideas that you know they they use it as an excuse that they live in an unfree world mm -hmm. and and one of the things i got out of all of rand's novels is her heroes and it, it could be eddie willers or dagny taggart um they're not letting the world stop them from achieving what they're trying to achieve yeah and and that and this is this is why i think there's an interesting take on peterson like the struggle helps define your purpose helps give you dignity Absolutely. and you know failure yep. is is one of the things you have to be willing to put up with if you want to live a happy dignified life yeah so I, i don't think you know we don't we don't need to solve all the problems but i think if we solved the philosophical cultural individual responsibility problem everything yeah. else might solve itself yeah and you just inspired me about one point that i also admire about peterson is that he is unapologetic right He knows what he knows. He knows his ideas, and he he won't apologize for them, right? Unless he discovered that he's mistaken. I I suppose he would, but he he knows it, right? Like he won't apologize for the what he thinks are the right ideas. Yeah. And this is an important point because that is motivational for for all of us, not just for 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 the young people. Um, so that's on that point. On freedom again i think what you are doing and your your team is fascinating because here you are going and fishing for stories right and you're showing that these people at least have certain kind of freedom and they're achieving that state of happiness and they're succeeding even if they are in miserable places mm -hmm. right and that's a very important message And it's inspirational because it tells you no matter where you are, there's always a way. It's your life. It's your eye, right? Like you have to fight for it. There's struggle, absolutely. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. That's the question. And I sort of, I don't know if, if Ayn Rand would agree with me, but I, I very much think of, of the process of achieving something in life as ultimately unfulfilled. It's a process. And, and I don't know about you, but... Um, I, I can work really hard to do something mm. and, you know, um, finish a job or, you know, successfully deliver 
a talk, produce a documentary, whatever the project is, write a book. And the process is a struggle. If it succeeds, it feels fantastic for a very short period of time. Yeah. And then I start getting anxious about, okay, what do I do next? Yeah. And so I don't think you can, you know, in the fountainhead, Howard Work builds his building. He's standing on top of the building and that's how it ends. He's feeling fantastic yeah. that he achieved his goal. Um, I bet you that Howard Work goes on to try to do something better. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah. And that's, that to me is, is part of, um, part of the, the, the beauty of living a life is like, you know what, if, if you work really hard, you're going to achieve things, but then you're going to want to do something even cooler. Mm. Um, but to me, that's exciting. Maybe for some people that's like, well, that sounds too hard. Well, uh, the way I think about it is life is growth. As long as you're living, it's, and it's a process. Mm. There's a process that you're going through and it can't just uh, end when you achieve the goal. Yeah. Right. Uh, it ends when you're dead. That's it. But, uh, and I love that. It's all about the process. It's all about learning from the process. And the the achievement or that sense of happiness, or yeah, I did it. Yeah. Is, it should be short term. Because if it's long term, then you're not going to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So it should be short term. And now you're more motivated and you have the knowledge to build more. Um, so, so yeah, it shouldn't be, for me, that's not too complicated to understand, right? And I don't think anyone would preach of a world where you just, just achieve something and that's it, you know? And you can hear it. Even people who made a lot of, you know, wealth, they want to build more, right? Uh, Bezos and, and, uh, what's his name? Elon Musk. They, they, they want to go to Mars. They want to go, they want to build more. Yeah. So it's not about the money or it's not about just one state of happiness. It's about the continuation, continuation. Um, let's, let's talk, like, let's talk about that because Ayn Rand famously chose the dollar sign as her symbol. Mm. And I think that's one of the misunderstandings of, of objectivism is that it's all about the money. Yeah. What's it about? Well, before I tell you, here's something interesting. Um, I was born in a family that, how can I put it, don't value money. So, for example, my, my father loved the work, but he never cared about the money. If he drops $100 on the floor, he wouldn't care to pick it up. Right. And I was, I was told that it's, it's never about the money. You should never care about the money. Right. Which is from one angle, it's a good thing. But from another angle, it took me a long time to understand that money is important. Yeah. So and I see the application of that. So I see that while growing up, I used to go and, you know, someone asked me for a job. and You don't have to pay for it. You know, why? Why not? Right. So I start learning more about money. And I think the point of um, uh, the dollar sign that Rand is trying to make. I think so. It's it's an issue of justice. So the, the dollar sign is symbolizing the act of trade and you're exchanging value for value. But that dollar doesn't have to be money. It can be friendship. 
like yeah. what we're doing now. We're exchanging value for value, right? We, we're having a conversation. We built our friendship throughout the years. Uh, and that's a currency of exchange, right? Um, so that's one perspective. Another perspective is an issue, an issue of justice. So you're paying for what people deserve, mm-hmm. right? So I built something. I, I made, I put a lot of effort in building it. And you appreciate that and you're ready to pay for it. Um, so that's these are the two things I would, I would think of. Um, yeah, what's your take on it's, that? It's a measure of value and 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 I, I think about it in the context of of having chose a profession that is not necessarily the most lucrative yeah. thing I could do with my life. Um, and and it is absolutely true that perhaps the best composer dies broke, even though he created something unachievable by anybody else. And I, I think that's okay. But but I, I like I like the idea of 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 exchange as one of those core principles. And and we were talking about this yesterday, the in the context of of explaining why collectivist principles are so evil, because they're anti human, yeah. they're anti individual. And instead of coming up with with a philosophical, ideological framework, in, uh, instead, like objectivism mm. or libertarianism, I was just doing this thought experiment. Uh, what what words would would be compelling human values that that would attract people to this this broader philosophical outlook? And and exchange value for value is is a simple one. Um, cooperation in a truer sense, yeah. trust, mutual respect, and then most recently, I've put love at the top of mm-hmm. this of this hierarchy of, of values, and and that's the one you have to work hardest for. Yeah, and you have to risk everything, and you have to you have to find someone that that shares enough respect for themselves that you can trade. Yeah, any relationship is. Is an exchange. What is love if not a spiritual currency or the highest spiritual currency? And this sounds for so many people as like, no, you know, it shouldn't be this way. It's an emotional thing. Of course, it's an emotional thing, but you you have to you have to have mutual love, right? Whether it's romantic love or friendship, or if it's not shared and traded, and if you don't act on it, yeah, then it means nothing, right? And we all know. What a horrible feeling to love somebody who doesn't love you back, for example, right? Like, you need the trade. And on the dollar, by the way, she she writes somewhere that you have a choice, either money or the gun, right? And I love that. That's so profound because how are you going to deal and trade with other people? Either by exchanging value for value or by force. Choose your uh, your way. So, so yeah, I think I think it's an important thing to think about money. I wonder what what Ayn Rand would think about Bitcoin and this whole world. Like, interesting. Um, I'm interested in it. I started being in, interested in it. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's um, um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain yeah. is is a technological solution to the inherent corruption of government. Yeah. Not just money, but 
Yeah. But government institutions that don't don't live up to their to their promises. So I I would be optimistic about that. And it's it's a great example of of spontaneous human achievement. Yeah. Trying to figure something out that, um, you know, when they started, they certainly didn't imagine where we would be today. Yeah. And I don't think we today can imagine where we'll be in 10 years. But I, yeah. it gives me hope and optimism in a way that um, political reform, which I've tried to do in my life, um, what a frustrating and perhaps dead end yeah. pursuit that is. Um, but let's, 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 uh, let's go to your expertise. And we've been talking about this all weekend. And obviously, Free the People is obsessed with um, uh, marketing ideas. Um, I like to actually say it in a more passive way. I want to, I don't want to tell people what to think, yep. but I want them to know that I expect them to think for themselves. Yep. And that to me is, um, it's passive in a sense, but I'm also shifting the responsibility on them. Like, I think I have some stuff figured out. Yep. I've, I've worked at it. I've struggled at it, but we have this opportunity to push back against this sort of um, lost, helpless feeling that comes from from these collectivist ideas. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think the opportunity is just massive, but it's not going to be another white paper. It's not going to be another book about philosophy. It's got to be marketing or stories or something. Yeah. Well, marketing is definitely a part of it. I would group it uh, under creativity or creative thinking. Uh, whether you want to apply it from a marketing perspective or even from a sales perspective. But I, I'm thinking a lot, and that's my initially my field of expertise, like creative thinking um, and how to translate that to products, to marketing, to stories. And I think what is lacking in the, in the intellectual world, uh, including politics and uh, is is creativity is creative thinking um so yeah that's that's one of my mission is to really integrate important meaningful ideas with creativity and then asking how can i how can i market that yeah. how can i touch people's lives how can i meet them at their values instead of preaching to them like you have to do this no no Nobody wants to be told what to do. They want to be inspired. They want to be touched. And once they are touched emotionally and intellectually, then they will consider, um, you know, thinking about your, your ideas. So, yeah. And, and I've seen it happen in this conference. Um, there are a ton of really smart young people here yeah. who have recently discovered really cool ideas. Yeah. And they want to do something, but they don't know exactly what to do next. And and part of your project is to mentor, I'll call them influencers. And I, yeah. I know that's a dirty word, but I, I mean it in the best possible way and sort of in the Jordan Peterson possible way where someone with a substantial set of ideas is willing to engage the broader public in a conversation. Yeah. And there's not like, like there's not a lot of that in our space. Um, we're, I started off as a book nerd. Um, you didn't, which is probably why you have an advantage, but you know, most of us just wanted to read books and, and yeah. quote the footnotes and, and argue about the details yeah. 
Um, it's kind of a dead end. I mean, I've, I've done it. Yeah. It's an important exercise, but that's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you shifted. You understood that the world needs stories yeah. and marketing ideas and uh, emotions and all of that. Uh, yeah. So, for example, in this conference, uh, I'm, by the way, I'm fascinated with with these people, with the young uh, people, because it's not about that they're interested in ideas or in Ayn Rand. They are serious that they want to achieve in their lives. Right? And I love that. Like, and you can see them hungry. Like they hung, I want to learn how to do this. So the burden is on us to offer them practical tools to feed their hunger. Right. Uh, and for them to see results, because if they can't see results, and that's, that's one thing about reading books. It takes so much, um, uh, skills to read a book and start practicing based on that book, mm-hmm. right? It's because you read a book and then, yeah, I enjoyed it, but so what? So that's part of what I do is that I turn the philosophy into frameworks that people can use to better their thinking, uh, to become better speakers, uh, and to see the results, right? Like imagine someone, and that's my goal for next year. I want to mentor a couple of people here so that next year they are on stage sharing their ideas yeah. and rocking it, yeah. right? Yeah. And if I can do that, you know, that's my reward. Uh, and the less they preach, because I, I'm, I'm against that method. Like, yeah. I don't want to preach the philosophy. I don't want to convert anyone. That's not my mission. Mm-hmm. Um, my mission is to help people succeed in their lives. Yeah. So it reminds me of, uh, you know, so my, my fictional spirit animal was Howard Rourke, but my, one of my real life heroes, and you've heard some of this story. If people who watch this have certainly heard me talk about Neil Peart, the drummer from Rush. And yeah. He wrote the lyrics and, He's the one that first introduced me to the genius of Ayn Rand yeah. in his words. And there's a really interesting article that I reread um, preparing for these talks. Um, I don't think I ever brought it up, but I'll bring it up here. In I think it was in 1997, a um, guy that runs the Institute for Justice, um, Scott Bullock, did an interview with Neil Peart. And at the time, he, he still identified as an objectivist. But he said something that was both brutal and telling because he was, he was losing interest in the, whatever the, this is 1997. So the, um, prototype chat rooms of the day. Yeah. And it was a bunch of intellectuals arguing about the finer points of objectivist philosophy. And his point was they don't do anything. Um, I'm a drummer. I, this is what I do. This Absolutely. is my craft. I've put everything that I have into this. And, and he didn't say this, but frankly, tremendously successful at applying the principles to the work that he decided to do. And I think, you know, maybe that's a little bit tough because I, I think, I think there is very much a reason to have thinkers, um, debating ideas. But that's such a that's a piece yeah. of the that's of it. the structure of production, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, we need doers, yeah. and part of that is storytelling. But it it might also be um, inventing blockchain so that absolutely you can pursue whatever that is. Yeah, 
It's got to be all those things. Yeah, you need the combination of ideas and products, right? Um, it can be whatever the product is, but you need that doing. You need that craft. Yeah. You can't just have ideas. Uh, but the question becomes, what kind of a craft, right? If you're writing, for example, books, that's not enough. That's, like you said, one piece. I want to see videos. I want to see art, music, drummers, uh, speakers. Like you want to see different, uh, different pieces so you can build that puzzle. Uh, because if you just focus on the intellectual part, you're not just talking to a very niche audience. You are limiting the, the potential of these ideas. You're giving up on culture. Yeah. Like one of the motivation I have in, in teaching people uh, speaking, public speaking, is because not just I want, I want them to share ideas related to objectivism. No. It's because I want to help them uncover their own stories. Because I believe each and every person has a gift and has failures and has stories. And if you help them uncover those, then they can inspire other people. And then they can turn them into a business. I mean, how many business, successful business model you've seen based on someone saying, I don't like how the world works. I'm going to change it, right? I don't like how this cup looks like. I'm going to change it. And it's these stories, those observations that you need in order to touch people's lives and, and make an impact on society. Um, so yeah, stories is, is very important. It's very delicate. And it can't be indoctrinated. You can't use indoctrination in stories. You can't say a story and say, I want it to be a, an objectivist story, right? Or an existential story. Like yeah. You can't do that. It's funny. I feel like we've, we've talked all weekend about how the radical left dominates culture. Um, but it feels like, particularly over the last three, four, five years, that they've they've gone from from uh, influencing culture and dominating culture to indoctrination. Yeah, and they're saying the quiet part out loud. But to me, that's a tremendous opportunity, and they're and they're turning people off. Yeah. Um, but they they control all of those levers of I'll call them levers of power because yeah. culture drives everything. And to go back to the the start of this conversation, Ayn Rand fled the Bolshevik Revolution when she was 20, I believe. Yeah. She she left her family. Her family helped her get across, and somehow she found her way to Hollywood. Yeah. She didn't go to a university. Yeah. She went to the epicenter of American culture because she knew that that's where she went to Hollywood. Change. Yeah. Yeah. Different Hollywood, perhaps, than today. Yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Uh, but it's interesting that she went to Hollywood, screenwriting, uh, you know, she, she lived that world of performance. And that's an industry that we need most. Yeah. Uh, performance and, and art and movies. Uh, because uh, movies, they inject ideas in your mind and conclusions in your mind without you knowing it. And if you do that for years, right, for 50 and 100 years, doing the same philosophy, injection, inje you, you're going to be, you're going to have the conclusion that, yeah, love is blind, 
happiness is impossible uh, iron man um, is uh, immoral because he he has a lot of money right and that's why you see the results that we're seeing in movies um, I, i was talking with someone about iron man a couple of days ago and you know i i i i'm so angry because here's someone who sh- who earned his eye mm-hmm. to go back to the beginning he earned it he's a genius he worked so hard he's not a genius like naturally like he worked so hard and he had to die right he had to die because he had to sacrifice everything um so it it annoys me and yeah. he always had to apologize for being an egoist if i can use it in the right yeah. word like as someone who's really proud of his work um so yeah so how do um i know you mentioned some of this but let's wrap up with yeah. um how do people find you and your resources to talk about some of your specific projects that might help people um work on some of these things yeah uh, so essentially they can go to our website so i'm the founder of novel philosophy academy Uh, which is an academy that helps people become more creative, uh, become better speakers, build themselves right in, in different manners. So they can go to novelphilosophy.academy. Okay. Or I also have my own podcast, which is called Ideas on Trial. And they can find it on, you know, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, technically all, all platforms. Uh, and also if you like to get like uh, short inspirations you can go to our instagram page also novelphilosophy.academy um so we we put some inspirations over there and techniques and tools so it's fun cool yeah. well i've enjoyed this conversation i loved it i've had a lot of fun getting to know you over the last couple of years same here thank you thank you that was fun yeah that was cool Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed that show, make sure that you like and subscribe. Click the little bell so that you get notifications. And if you consume this via podcast, go wherever you want to go. We're everywhere. Kibbe on Liberty. The revolution starts now.